Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to our podcast. And today our guest is Angela Reddick Wright, who is the founder and managing partner of Reddick Law Group. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Angela, what made you decide to get into law? Um, well, I knew when I was a junior in college that I wanted to go to law school. I had been an English major, uh, was was an English and political science major in college and um, considered myself a good writer and a good orator and was not good at medicine or, or sciences or math. So I knew medical, medical school or something in the sciences was not for me. So um, law school just seemed like you can do so much, you know, as a lawyer and advocate and also the potential of being involved in different, you know, business opportunities and ventures. So all of that was attractive to me. Now, so, you know, when you were in college, this is kind of what you decided to do. What uh, kind of what were your first steps into doing law? Um, so when I was in law school at UCLA, go Bruins, um, I um was I did a lot in terms of entertainment law I took like entertainment law classes thought that I was also you know I live in Los Angeles so you know everybody in Los Angeles some you know some way wants to work in the entertainment industry so they say and so I was one of those individuals and so the year I graduated from law school the job market was kind of soft um, across the board and in entertainment in particular and so I literally I just wanted a job and wanted to get started as a lawyer. And so my first job was with the, an employment law firm. And um, I, day one of working at the firm, I fell in love with employment law and never looked back. And, you know, while I had these kind of distant dreams of being an entertainment attorney, I just loved being an employment lawyer so much that I didn't think twice about it and, and just kept moving forward. And here I am, Going on 27 years later, I've worked exclusively in the area of employment law, which I love. Great. So what is it about employment law that makes it, I'm going to say, so difficult for people to understand? Um, well, it's it's not that it's difficult to understand. In fact, it's... Um, you know, the principles of employment law, I think, resonate uh, with most of us because we're all, for the most part, employees, even, you know, even those of us who run our own business at some point in our lives, most likely we have been an employee and uh, an employee. And now if we're running our own business, you know, we may be employers if we if we have employees. So I think in concept, people understand that there are laws that deal with the hiring of individuals, the separation of individuals, the day-to-day -day management of individuals. Um, it's just that when those laws are applied to your specific environment, you might raise, you know, 
have you know, raise an eyebrow and say, oh, that doesn't apply to me or I'm different or I'm an exception, whether it be you responding as an employee or as an employer. But I think um, the principles people generally understand, but it's when they kind of impact us directly where we start to raise an eyebrow as to why the law is the way it is uh, sometimes. And so as as a small business owner, like you said, lots of times people think, oh, this doesn't apply to me or I'm special. What, what is it? What are some of the common mistakes that, that the employer of a small business are making when it comes to you know, employment law? Well, um, first, just not educating themselves on employment laws, whether it be the federal laws or the state laws like I'm in California and have practiced in California my entire career and in California, in addition to the federal body of say anti discrimination or anti harassment laws or leave laws or you know whole plethora of laws that protect individuals in the workplace in California and in most other states there are additional laws that add to what the federal law requires and. Um, in California, for example, one big area that we many employers are surprised by, particularly small business owners, are kind of the wage and hour laws where they say that you have to pay an individual a certain minimum wage or you have to ensure that they receive so many breaks throughout the day. And we have this body, a governmental body in California called the California Labor Commissioner, our Department of Industrial Relations, and they oversee the wage and hour laws in California. And when you go before, so an employee can have a wage and hour issue and not have to file in court, they can go direct to this Labor Commissioner's office. And what many small business owners especially find surprising is that it's almost what we call a strict scrutiny standard. In the law, what that means is there's no defense to it. Like, if you can't prove that you were paying people the proper wages or providing them the proper breaks, that the California Labor Commissioner almost will not accept any excuse for employers. So I use that as an example to say employers, you know, you, when you go into business is usually for all the right reasons. You have a great service that you want to provide, a great widget that you're producing that you want to get to market um, all the right reasons and you're generally really excited about it uh, but you can't that excitement has to be matched with education so having a strong finance person on your team having a lawyer on your team that will help you navigate these issues because most employment laws apply um, some you know if you only have one employee they apply like the anti-discrimination laws um, when it comes to some of the other laws you have to have at least five employees so once you start to get you know one five definitely above five individuals working for you, most of these laws um, apply to you. And it's not until you're sitting before the California Labor Commissioner or some agency like that, that you realize that maybe the way you've been doing things from the beginning, or because you're small, you thought, oh, well, this would, you know, no one would ever sue me or no one would ever make a claim for me because we're like family and we love each other. Um, so it's in those moments that you're ed being educated, but it's at that point where, you know, you're facing liability and that's not a good feeling. So that's the first thing I would say 
educate yourself in addition to doing whatever you do well and getting that to market, make sure you have the foundational elements in place and team to advise you so that all of your earnings and profits don't go to servicing lawsuits and legal claims. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, one of the things that you that you said that I, I'm constantly preaches is making sure you pick your right team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so lots of times, you know, again, like like everybody else, you know, we start out where it's just us and we're doing everything. And then we do start adding employees and it and it does change things. Now, um, lots of times people are going to say, oh, well, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have any employees. Well, they but they have contractors. They have t- what they would call a 1099 employee. Um, don't these rules still apply to someone who you're saying is a, you know, they may not truly be a 1099 employee, but, you know, that the, they're saying that, but don't these uh, rules still apply to them also? They do. And um, even before um, a employer or business owner decides to hire someone as a contractor or 1099, they have to consult with someone so that they know, uh, ideally a lawyer that specializes in these areas, um, so that they're advised as to whether the person qualifies truly as an independent contractor or as a 1099 contractor. And that is probably one of the biggest missteps of um small business owners in particular, but not just small business owners, like the the leading case on this issue was against Microsoft. So for many years, Microsoft, even with this big corporation, hired many of its software engineers and so forth as independent contractors. And after going through years of litigation, the court finally said, no, these are individuals that actually work for you. They're your employees. You can't have just long-term independent contractors that are essentially working for you full-time. So what many business owners, especially starting out, they'll say, well, one way I'll save costs is by hiring contractor contractors as opposed to employees. And the way you save costs is you don't have to pay payroll taxes on those individuals. Um, you don't have to worry about meal breaks and rest breaks, etc. Um, but if they are basically working for you full time and doing the service that an actual employee would do for you, that person most likely is not an independent contractor. And so it's not worth taking that risk because if you get caught or they file a claim later that they've been misclassified for any number of years, that could result in substantial back wages and back pay that could, you know, result in having to deal with an audit with the IRS for not paying uh, the taxes on that person if they were an employee. And there could be civil penalties associated with it as well. So that is probably the biggest area of potential liability for small business owners in particular. And And while it may seem easy and the best way to go about things in the long run, it rarely um, serves to your benefit. Yeah, I, I, you know, I have seen people and tried to counsel. I'm not an attorney, but, you know, knowing that, hey, this part, you're telling them what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And you're providing all the tools and resources for them to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tried to also explain, you know, besides all the payroll tax and everything else, you know, you have a a pension plan that you've set up for yourself. Right. Department of Labor can come in and say, hey, you have to pay all this back 
for them also. That's true. Um, That's you know, true. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, important. And I know like, you know, this much of it compared to, to what you know um, in this. What are some of the um, other issues with the, with the employment law are kind of um, the... Uh, you know, where the the work environment and mm-hmm. you know off off business topics that are being talked about and and things like that where people could be made felt uncomfortable you know as an employer we're not always um we're most of the time we're not involved with those conversations because we're either you know out in the field uh meetings and different things like that many times you know the business owners gonna say well how am I supposed to control that I mean what advice would you have for a business owner for that right right well so as a part of a business owner's education um if you wanted like sort of an employment law 101 type course it all and this and literally my first boss that I had out of law school did the same thing with me this is all employment laws start with the basic principle that you know, you cannot discriminate against or retaliate against employees or take any adverse employment action against any individual based on their race, their gender, disability, religion, you know, a long litany of other what we call protected categories. So if a, a business owner kind of takes that as the basic principle of employment law and of employing people, what that means is they're going to look at everything from their hiring um, policies and practices to their day-to-day management and performance policies, all the way to something like looking at retirement plans and ensure that everything that they do is fair and equitable across the board, that it doesn't treat individuals differently because of any of these protected categories. And that when issues, for example, arise in the workplace, like you alluded to, like say they're um, alleged sexual harassment comments or alleged comments about race or gender or what have you, that even if that business owner is off building the business, that they have tools in place where individuals who feel harmed in the workplace know that they can make a complaint, whether it be to human resources or to the owner directly or to their manager or to their boss or to 800 line or hotline in some larger companies, whoever, um, wherever that source is that employees know generally through an employee handbook and through orientation where to make a complaint and that they have every confidence, the employee does, that when they make that complaint, that it's going to be responded to, looked into, investigated if necessary, and that appropriate action is going to be taken if needed. Um, And if you, as a business owner, get those basic principles that you start with knowing I have to, in our business, we have to seek to be fair and equitable in everything we do from A to Z. And then when something falls through the cracks, that we have a process to respond to it and to let employees know that they are heard. If business owners have those basic principles in place and practices in place, it doesn't mean you're shielded from liability, but it means that you can catch things 
early, before they escalate, before they turn into a complaint or a lawsuit. And if you could do that, that will play a big role in terms of managing your day-to-day liability in terms of um, um, employees. But more than that, and this is kind of my doing this for 27 years now, this is my life's work and my passion. It's not just about managing risk and managing liabilities, right? You know, every, as I said earlier, we all, we spend so much time at work. And so, so much of our lives and our happiness and our contentment, et cetera, is driven by what happens at work. So you don't want, business owners don't only want to have these policies and practices in place just to, you know, shield them from liability, but really to help create great workplaces and to help create places, especially in this climate where we have quiet quitting, quiet firing, nobody wants to go back to work, remote work, not remote work. You know, how are you going to be competitive as a business owner? And my thought from the lens I sit in, the most successful businesses and business owners are those who, who, when they have employees, where they value their employees, they see their employees as their best investment, you know, investing in their well-being, investing in, you know, their benefits, investing in their pay, and just generally letting employees know that they're valued and they're cared, cared about. And a big part of that is having policies that have teeth and meaning and letting employees know that when something does occur, that you care enough to respond, to engage, and to, to take the appropriate action. Yeah. So it, if, if I'm a, a business owner, I'm just starting up and I'm saying, hey, I really don't have uh, the financial being right now to hire someone like you to make sure that I have everything in place and to, to uh, I guess, teach me the, the, the basics so I don't get myself in trouble. What, what recommendation or, or what, what would you say to them? Right. I'm a big fan of organizations like the Small Business, the Federal or the U.S. Small Business Association. They offer a lot of resources and free programming for business owners um, to educate themselves on on issues like this. Also, um, your local or your state chambers of commerce tend to have a committee or part of the commerce which educates business owners on legal issues, financial issues, and other issues that impact their day-to-day business. Um, there are organizations like the Society of Human Resources, Human Resources Professionals. So, you, you know, ideally, if you have an HR person, they're a member of a group like that, so they're getting the additional education they need. But even if you don't have an HR person, as a business person, you can join a group like that and benefit from their seminars and webinars and educational materials and tools. But um, I would start there if you can't afford um, you know, to have full-time people or lawyers, you know, at your beck and call, I would start with organizations like that. And also like in California, I know for sure the org uh the government entity that oversees our employment laws, the discrimination harassment laws is called the California Office of Civil Rights. And they offer um, regular training and webinars and will even come to businesses and do training. So look to see if there's an equivalent organization in your state and to see what type of training and information that they offer for business owners. Thank you. I think lots of times I tell people when, when, when they say that it's more, you know, you can't afford not to do it. 
you know, is, is really what it comes down, what it comes down to, because um, again, there's so many things we're, we're so busy as business owners trying to be out there to, to get the new business, to, to make sure that it's all the work's getting done and everything else that, that we lots of times don't take the time to step back and, and really look at this. Um, yeah. you know, the, the old adage of, you know, we're working in our business instead of on our business. Yeah. Um, and, and to that point, Gary, um, most businesses will, get insurance for their business. Even before they go out and hire an accountant or a lawyer, what have you, most businesses recognize the, the need to have at least basic insurance. One of the policies that's offered to businesses now is called um, employee, employee Employment Practices Liability Insurance, EPLI. And what that does is it um, gives you a policy to, to assist in the event that an employee files a claim for harassment, discrimination, or what have you in the workplace. It generally does not cover wage and hour claims, but it will cover other claims. And with that, you, if a claim is filed, of course, you get to call the adjuster, get advice on how to manage that claim, but you're also assigned an attorney through your policy. And usually there's like an auto policy, there's a, a retention amount. And once you pay that retention amount, which is, can be from $5,000, $10,000, $100,000 for larger companies. But it's well worth it, um, especially if you're small, because if you have to go out and hire an attorney to deal with litigation, you know, that, you know, just out the gate, it could cost you $25,000 or so. So that, to your point, you, that you you can't afford not to have it a way to kind of get into the marketplace is through your insurance policy and they will help you do things like draft your employee handbook and guide you through some of the basic day-to-day -day employment policies and practices that's good advice um earlier you you mentioned which seems to be one of the big topics nowadays is the the quiet quitting um can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, you know, we've seen and heard a lot of people talk about it's like, okay, well, you know, our our office hours are 830 to, to five. And, you know, yes, I get my half hour break, but I'm not showing up at the office until 830 and I'm walking out the door at five. But as the employer, I'm looking at it, I'm paying you to do work from 830 to five. Mm -hmm. So how does that, you know, from the, the employment law side of it, how does that figure in? Yeah, uh, exactly as you described it, that quiet quitting is basically where people are still mm -hmm. keeping their jobs as opposed to quitting, but they're doing the bare minimum. And um, it's something that, like many things, has arisen during this COVID-19 um, pandemic environment where um, as people were working remotely or going through major life changes, um, their perspectives about work started to change and perspective about what's important to them in life. And so for many, if they perhaps were already not happy with their job or things that have happened in this two to three year time period that caused them to be less than satisfied with their job or their employer, they're opting to you know, take this 
kind of lesser road of, well, I'll just, I'll keep collecting a salary or keep collecting pay, but I'm going to do the bare minimum. And that kind of goes to what I was saying earlier. I think that the employers that are going to kind of survive this moment in time and also come out on top are those employees who recognize, first recognize this is happening in that whether you like it or not, because it used in the old days, you say, well, you're getting a paycheck, so you work, right? So people now they're like, oh, I'm getting a paycheck, so what, right? That's not enough to show employees that they're valued. Having great benefits is not enough. It's really employers showing that they care about their employees, that they value their employees, that they recognize that these last two to three years have been really traumatic for many individuals. And I think the as as hard as it is to wrap our, our, our heads around that, particularly in American business society where you know, we work, work, work until the core. Um, as hard as, hard as it is to wrap our heads around it, it's a reality. It's happening. And we're going to have to adjust to what I see as the new worker, the worker that, you know, there's still people who are willing to commit their time, commit their talents and energies, but they, they're only willing to do that when they know that they're working for a company or organization that that cares about them in the same way that they want the employee to care about the company and its mission and values. Right. So, but but as the employer, when we're when we're dealing with with this, if someone, you know, again, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, these are the hours type thing. Um, and somebody's like literally walking in the door at 830. Mm-hmm. And they're really not, I mean, because again, growing up, I was taught, you know, you're <laughs> at your desk and you are actually working at 830, not right, right. arriving and turning <laughs> on your time you're late <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. You're you're there, you know, physically working at, at that time. How mm-hmm. does from from the employment side, how does that how does that work from the law side, I guess I should say? Yeah, well, employees, employers can deal with it as a performance management issue, right? If someone literally is not doing their job, not, you know, showing, I mean, on time, I don't know if you could do too much about that other than just kind of counsel the employee like, hey, you know, you really want to be ready to go at 830, not just walking in the door at 830, but definitely, you know, treating it as a performance, you know, management issue. Um, And it has to start with making sure you have good job descriptions in place so that you, that an expectation has been set for what's expected of the employee. and then coaching the employee, you know, it's one thing to just hit the hammer, right? That yeah. tends not to motivate people, but coaching them and letting the employee know that they're vital to the success of the company or the organization. And that when one piece of, one spoke in the wheel is not quite working, then it impacts the, the rest of the spokes. And even incentivizing employees to, whether it be, you know, you know, if you do better or if you get on a good pathway, this could lead to promotional opportunities or other opportunities or, could you know, we could expand your portfolio. Um, so I think it has to be 
you know, like a parent in a way where you're, you're definitely, you know, strict in terms of holding your, your children to a certain standard, but you're also recognizing you're mixing that with a little softness, you know, in the interest of kind of acknowledging that, like I said, for these last two plus years, things have been traumatic for some people, but yeah, is it, should you just not manage that? Of course not, because that creates chaos in the, the workplace, but managing it in a way that ideally, you know, motivates and incentivizes and engages the employee in a positive way. Yeah, because I think lots of times, you know, that that can be almost like a poison if you don't address it because yeah. you have the employees that are doing things the way that you want and, and performing in the manner that you want. And then you have this one or two people who aren't. And then that kind of, uh, there's some resentment there because, okay, you know, why are you letting them do this when I'm following what the rules are? Um, so I think true. lots of times that, that, that happens uh, quite often. Very, very true. All right, Angela, we could probably go on for another six hours because this, I mean, this is a, a huge topic. And it, in my opinion, when it becomes, when you're, when you're an employer, just trying to make sure, you know, that you're doing things in the, the right way. Um, and like you said earlier, it's not necessarily just protecting yourself, but it's investing in the employees and getting people that, um, that are working with you, showing them that you care. And then lots of times, yeah, they're going to care about, you know, what they're doing and, and what the mission of the business is. Right. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish I did? I think you did a great job, Gary, but maybe I could just give a little more clarity and be and also suggest something about conflict resolution, which I'm really um, passionate about. So I've been, like I said, been practicing almost 27 years. For the first 15 years of my career, I represented clients in all aspects of employment law. The last 11 years, I've been full-time as a mediator and arbitrator. I work in the world of dispute resolution, trying in conflict resolution, helping employers and employees to resolve issues outside of court, litigated matters generally. So I would just say to uh, employers and employees alike that you know conflict resolution, dispute resolution, is a great way to go. If you find yourself involved in protracted or costly litigation, um, which takes you away from your business, takes the employee away, you know, emotionally as well, um, that, you know, conflict resolution, and, and I'm encouraging companies to build conflict resolution into their day-to-day protocols and their day-to-day um, way of doing business. Like I said earlier, catching issues on the front end, showing you're committed to those issues and dealing with them in the moment. And sometimes that requires bringing in an outside facilitator, um, outside expert in conflict resolution, but um, your team can also be trained and empowered to engage in day-to-day conflict resolution. It works. I'm a big fan of it, uh, not just because that's what I do, but because um, I see the worst of scenarios. And, you know, when they when it's too 
oftentimes too hard to resolve it through dispute resolution or conflict resolution, although we do every we do every day. But I see the worst case scenarios and I'm saying before you get to those worst case scenarios, try to get on top of it beforehand. It's it's worth it to your business, it's worth it to the morale of your team. And and it's not as costly as, you know, finding yourself in, in long protracted, you know, litigation. And our court systems are really backed up right now. And so it also helps to, to relieve some of the pressure and stress on the court system. Right, right. That's great, great advice there, too. I mean, you know, and I'm going to say that doesn't work just in, at, at work. It works at home, too, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> at home with your kids with your family with your friends right, exactly. <laughs> yes we all should do a daily practice of conflict resolution right. so uh angela if people like what they hear and, and you've given us a lot of good advice on places to, for people to go you know and you know in their own states of of where to look for help but if somebody wants to reach out to you and talk to you how can they get in touch with you um, follow me on I am Angela Redock Wright on, on Instagram and Facebook. I host a, a weekly legal show on KBLA Talk 1580 called Legal Lens with Angela. That comes on every Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, so if you follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you can see who I'm having on the show. My specialty is employment law, but I bring on you know lawyers who are experts in all sorts of issues. So that's a great place to, to hear other um, areas of law. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, see what I'm talking about in the areas of employment law, mediation, um, and dispute resolution. Great. And on LinkedIn, I'm under my own name, Angela Redock Wright. Great. Angela, we really appreciate your time today. Um, oh, and I have a book. I forgot. The Workplace oh. Transformed, uh, which talks about workplaces and transformed and what businesses, employers and employees alike should be thinking about in this post-COVID-19 world. And you can find out about that and all my other projects on my website at AngelaRedockWright.com. Great. Again, thank you very much for your time. Um, I think you've given us a, a lot to think about. And, you know, anybody who's out there that that doesn't have an employment uh, attorney as part of their team really needs to look to find one um, in their state that they can help them uh, with, with what their possible employment uh, law issues could be um, just for the help. So uh, this week, our guest was Angela Roddick Wright, and she's a founder and managing partner of Roddick Law Group. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.